0: Welcome to Blaine, Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. I think one thing we could all agree on is that the world is kind of a messed up place. It can be a pretty messed up place. And the more I learn about what's going on in the world, the worse things seem. Like, I never watch the news and think, man, the world's getting better. Does anybody feel that way? <laughs> you watch the news, like, man, things are really turning up. Like, I, I'm liking this. No, it's kind of the opposite. Um, a few years ago, I was on vacation, and uh, I like to read on, on vacation. And so I was in a bookstore, and I, I bought this book called Methland. Like that's a good book for a pastor to read, uh, right up there with Purpose Driven Life, you know, Methland. Um, but I, I bought it and it was actually a really important book to read because so many lives have been touched by drug addiction, so many lives have uh, of us have seen friends and family struggled, and I, I've taken friends to treatment. Like it's a growing problem, and so this book Methland it follows one man's struggle to save his hometown. In, that's in, in Iowa that's kind of been taken over by this plague of meth. Um, it's this town of Olwine, Iowa. It's this picturesque American small town. It's about the size of Blaine. Um, but the uh, what happened was the local economy dried up in the 90s and so jobs that were paying $18 an hour all of a sudden were paying $6.50 an hour in this town and so what people t- tried to realize is that really the only one the, the, the way the only way that they could make money for some of them was to cook and sell meth like that was the only um, option they felt like they had and so people were desperate to find a way to survive and, and meth just kind of made this town crumble. Um, It made it really dangerous. Um, There were houses literally blowing up um, on different streets because of these meth related accidents. And in the middle of this chaos, there's this young lawyer named Nathan. And Nathan is like the only, seems like the only sane guy that's left in the town. Like he's the guy who's fighting for the town. He's a lawyer, um, so he's um, trying to fight dealers. He's trying to get federal help. He's trying to get attention, like raising his hand, like, hey, we need help over here. Like our town is falling apart. And as Nathan faces this public battle, his personal life falls apart. Like he, he can't maintain the stress of what he's doing and he's drinking too much and it gets to a point where his wife leaves him. Like his personal life falls apart as he's trying to save this town. And I think sometimes we feel like that when we look at the world's problems and we're trying to jump in and save the world, we can also feel helpless. Like it's us against the world. Like no one's gonna fix this, so I've got to fix it. And whether that's fighting for your family or your community or your country, it's easy to feel overwhelmed at the scope of the battle. And so where do we look, where do we turn for hope? See, do we turn to, to the government or a political party for hope? Do we turn to society or culture for hope? We, who has the answers? And we kind of live in a world that, that is splitting apart um, because uh, we don't know how to solve these problems that we're facing. Or we can't even agree on what the problems are. And, and we're becoming, if you haven't like watched the news, we're actually becoming more and more politically polarized, right? Um, someone said, it's not just that people don't agree with each other anymore, they actually don't like each other anymore. And you see that, like if you go on social media, all the attacks and all, all that stuff, a name calling. And today we're going to look at a passage where Jesus is thrust into a political conversation. See, the Pharisees were trying to trap him in a situation where he'd be forced to take a side on a political issue. You know, either he would be for the Jews or he'd be for the Roman government. And so let's see how Jesus responds as he's thrown into this uncomfortable situation. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 22, 15 through 22. It says this, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him, Jesus, in his words, And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax." And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. So if you've been following uh, with us in this, um, in this series, we've been talking about Jesus versus religion. And there's this tension between the Pharisees and Jesus. The Pharisees were out to get Jesus because he kind of undermined all the authority they had. He kind of undermined all the religious pretense that they had. He came in and started healing people and preaching the kingdom. And, and they felt threatened by that. And so over the last few weeks, we see how Jesus exposes the outward religion of the Pharisees. And um, while in the meanwhile, their hearts are far from him. And that's the danger that we're still living in today. That's why we're talking about Jesus versus religion, where we got to examine where our hearts are at. And so here we have the Pharisees. They've reached a point where they're willing to try anything to trip Jesus up. Like they're trying to do anything they can to put Jesus in an awkward situation. So politics always puts people in awkward situations. So they say, let's try that. Um, they get two groups of students together. And the two groups of students they, they have, one is called the, the Zealots. And the, the Zealots are a, about separation from the Roman government. They, they, they want the Jewish people to be free from the government of Rome. And then you have the Herodians who are okay with living under the Roman law. And he gets these two people together and they send, um, and they, they send these two groups to Jesus and, in hopes that Jesus would have to pick one or the other. And um, the Zealots uh, often took matters into their own hands uh, when they fought. There was a, a man named Judas of Galilee who led a revolt uh, years earlier that failed. And their mantra, the zealots' mantra, was that God alone is the ruler of Israel, so no taxes should be paid to Rome. So they saw any allegiance to Rome as sinful. Typically, these revolutionaries were punished by crucifixion. They'd hang them as an example, uh, not to mess with the Roman government. And so many of these zealots wondered if Jesus would be the next revolutionary, if he would be the one who would free the Jews from the yoke of the Romans. Um, the Pharisees were certainly hoping to paint Jesus in that light so that the Romans would see him as a threat and crucify him. You know, I wonder today how, if, if we treat Jesus more like a, a political tool or if we treat him like the Lord of our lives. Do people today, do they want to use Jesus as a political revolutionary and put him in the same light? See, on the other side, we have the Herodians, and the Herodians were those Jews who were loyal to the Roman government under King Herod. Um, Maybe they were loyal because they saw the benefits of the Roman government, the infrastructure and the trade. Maybe they didn't want to disrupt the peace. Maybe they saw the fight as futile. Anyways, the Pharisees send these two groups to Jesus to entangle him uh, in in this no-win situation. Either Jesus would anger the majority of Jewish people, or he would anger the Roman government and be crucified. And obviously Jesus would be crucified, but he would do it willingly for a far greater purpose than what they're fighting for here. So the two sides approach Jesus, and and as they approach him, you notice they try to flatter Jesus. They say, teacher, we know you teach, we know you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion and you aren't swayed by appearances. And then they ask him the question. So they're trying to butter him up and then they ask him the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And if it's any other teacher that might have worked because we all, we're all a little susceptible to flattery, right? Like we all kind of like to feel important. Um, You ever get really like, you know, you hear good things about yourself and it kind of um, you know, loosens your tongue a little bit, right? You kind of say maybe things you shouldn't say, um, but flattery, you know, is, is one thing that people use to kind of loosen people up, right? But Jesus wasn't fooled. He knew exactly where their hearts were at, and he, that's why he said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? And that word hypocrite, if you're not familiar with that means, it means actor, you know, he knew they were acting, like, why, why put me to the test? You're acting. You're creating this situation uh, to, to get me to say something um, that you can judge me for. And see, there's no acting around Jesus. He's going to see right through anything. And so um, it's just a side note. It's best to be honest with Jesus because there is no hiding. And so G- it, Jesus was so frustrating to the Pharisees because he didn't play the pretense game. You know, he didn't, he didn't like bow to anyone's importance. He just said whatever needed to be said. Um, No one intimidated Jesus. And that's what I love about him, right? We love that he just speaks the truth. He just says what needs to be said. You know, I noticed that Jesus saved his gentle tone for the lowest in society. The crippled, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sick, children. Like Jesus was gentle with his words around those people. But around the really important people, he was a little harsher. I wonder, because we have that pretense game today, right? Like, we might say things in one room that we wouldn't say in another room. Um, Jesus didn't play that game. And so Jesus asks them, hey, bring me a denarius. And a denarius is a Roman coin that was worth about a day's wage. It was the specific coin that they used to pay the tax. It was, they paid the imperial coin tax with this, uh, with this coin, and he asked them this simple question, "Whose image is on the coin? whose likeness and um, whose likeness is on the coin?" And they answer Caesar. It's Caesar's face on the coin. You know Caesar's the supreme leader, basically, of the world at that time. Um, the Jewish didn't put faces on coins because they thought that was like pretentious. Um, but the Romans did Caesar did, and worse than that, you know, it said it had an inscription, and that inscription actually said that Caesar was the son of God. So you think, man, the Zealots have a case here, right? I mean, they've got a coin. If you're talking to the Son of God, and you have a coin that says Jesus is or Caesar is the Son of God, like of course Jesus should be mad about that, right? He, of course he would be against it. But Jesus doesn't even address that, which is shocking, right? He doesn't even address it. He, instead he says, "Well, render to Caesar what's Caesar's, and to God what's God's." Okay? Just that's that simple. Just, and that, you're like, "What? But that killed the conversation. That killed the conversation. The students were shocked. You know their mouths hung open, like, did he just say that? Just just give to Caesar what's Caesar's? Give to God what's God's? That's all you need to worry about. But that word... Render what it means is to return Like this was caesar's coin. This is caesar's system Give it to caesar and be done with it You know so on one hand jesus is saying that even though rome's theology is bonkers That doesn't remove your right to be a good citizen under that um, under that government even if you don't like it. But then he says there's something even far more important than Rome going on here. There's there's a way bigger thing that you're missing because you're focusing on this small issue. Because the question isn't really about the political situation. The question is really about where your heart is and where your hope is. Because that's the bigger question that these two groups have to answer. Which power are they putting their hope in? Are they putting it in the political power, or are they putting it in a far greater power? You know, the zealots wanted Jesus to see the injustice and blasphemy happening and saying, I'm in, let's fight Rome, let's take it down, you know? That's what they wanted to see happen, but Jesus didn't come to fight Rome. He came to bring his kingdom to earth. See, it's our tendency when we feel helpless to fight for power. To put our hope in something that you know that 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 um, something that that will gain power, and it's you know we tend to have this idea that it's us against the world. Like we've we've got to be desperate. We've got to fight for this thing. You know, if we don't act now, the world is going to fall apart. And that's essentially what we see in politics. It's just a never-ending struggle for power, and it changes all the time. And when things aren't going our way, we fight for the power. And we can give our lives to fighting all sorts of things, not just politics. Actually, I I found this out this week. The first big student protest in America was over butter. Did you know this? (laughs) I'm serious. In 1776, Harvard University of all places, there was this thing called the Great Butter Rebellion. Right? This, there was a student complained about having rancid butter and they actually like captured his words. What he said was, behold, this butter stinketh. Like that was literally what he said um, in history. This is our history, you know. Um, and that led to all the, stu- uh, the students boycotting um, food on campus and they had this big walkout and they walked to town and they had their dinner in town, you know. <laughs> they got really serious about it. You know, and it just makes me think that the danger is, is we can get lost in all the issues of the day and lose sight of what's important to God. We can lose sight of the mo- most important question that Jesus is asking you Are you giving to God what's God's? Are you returning to God what ultimately belongs to Him? Because the coin had Caesar's image on it. And Jesus said, Yeah, it belongs to Him. Jesus said, Give it back to Him, it's His, anyways. But the bigger question is this. Whose image do you bear? Whose image do you bear? Sure, the coin had Caesar's image on it, but whose image do you bear? Back in Genesis, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We're created in God's image. God has his fingerprints all over our lives. No matter if we're, if we're following him right now or not, we're made in the image of God. That's our identity. And so what is Jesus asking for? If his fingerprints, if the fingerprints of God are all over us, what is Jesus asking for? Could it be that he's asking us for our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength? He's asking us for all those things. Could it be that God wants your all, just as we sang minutes ago, that he wants all of your allegiance, all of your work, all of your passion? Because if Jesus isn't on the throne of our hearts, then it's us against the world. But when Jesus sits on the throne, we go from helpless to content. We go from struggling to empowered. We go from searching desperately for an external power to resting in the power of God. Because Jesus wants to find freedom, but only when we've given him everything. When we've given our lives, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength to him. When we seek first his kingdom. Like he said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Put your hope in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is, is God's rule in your heart and in the world. It's a kingdom that advances from heart to heart. It's an internal kingdom. And it's a kingdom that demands our all. And you may ask, well, does that mean that God doesn't care about the injustice going on in the world? Does God not care about all the things that are happening right now? And the, the truth is, is that he does, but the kingdom of God isn't about escaping the world. It's actually the best way to change the world. The kingdom of God isn't about, oh, we're going to live in a fairyland. Like, it's actually the best way to change the world, is to live into the kingdom of God. And so the most important battle is the one that's being waged in your heart. And it's the one that's being waged in the hearts of others. Fight for the hearts of others. I want you to look at what N.T. Wright said about the kingdom. He said this. He said, Jesus' kingdom is certainly for the world, but it isn't from it. It comes from somewhere else. In other words, from above, from heaven, from God. It's God's gift to his world, but the world isn't ready for this gift. See, the kingdom of God was Jesus' means to change the world, You know, he didn't want us to just fight on our own against whatever power we're angry at. He wanted us to seek the kingdom, his rule, his reign that's breaking in around the world. He wanted us to seek his rule and reign in every area of our lives and pray that his kingdom would come in our land, in our communities. Because when his kingdom invades our heart, it spills out to other places in the community and when you are fully committed to God, when you give and you love like no one else loves, that changes the world far greater than you could ever do on your own. So if you feel helpless today and if you're searching, um, this is the big promise. The promise is that Christ in you is a far greater hope than you against the world. Christ in you is a far greater hope than you against the world. See, the hope for you is that if you surrender your life to Jesus, he lives in you. He takes over like he is in control and we become alive in him to work according to his will and to his power. You know, in Colossians, Paul calls Christ in you the hope of glory, like the hope of everything being restored and right with the world happens when Christ is in us. That's the power to change. And so the issue is not that we don't want to see change in the world. It's that we need to rely on the power of Christ in us to get there. Not the power of us against the world alone. Because there's not enough power in us alone. Like look at Nathan desperately trying to save his town. And he can't shoulder it. He can't shoulder the stress on his own and his personal life falls apart. Like, he took it all on, like, it's up to me to save this town in Iowa. And his personal life fell apart. See, what you against the world is, is anxiety, right? When it's you against the world, it's anxiety. And many people are saying that America is in the middle of an anxiety epidemic today. Um, That this guy, Peter Doctrill, he reported that 56% of Americans are anxious about politics on a daily basis today, that 68% of Americans are anxious about their health, their family safety, and their finances on a daily basis. See, most of us feel helpless and powerless when we turn on the news, when we see what's going on in the world. And the power is not in you alone, it's Christ in you. And maybe that sounds good, but you're still like, yeah, but what is the church doing? Like, how is the church changing the world? Like, I don't see the church, like, addressing the problems of the world. And I would just say, are you sure about that? Are you sure? I know there are churches that just play church. Like, I know there are churches, and I pray we never become one that just kind of show up on Sunday and go home and do their thing. But that's, that's not what God calls us to. Um, the revolution that you see going on in the church through the Holy Spirit is not going to show up in the news. Um, But there are so many people out there who followed Jesus' call to love their neighbors and to reach out to the hurting and the broken. I want to share something that a British politician named Michael Gove said about the church. He said, the reality of Christian mission in today's churches is a story of a thousand quiet kindnesses. in in many of our most disadvantaged communities, it is the churches that provide warmth, food, friendship, and support for individuals who've fallen on the worst of times. It's the churches that stand in the gap. And it might not be every church, but it's the churches that are standing in the gap for people. And I've seen many of you live this out. Like I've seen it, like Allison told me this morning, we're feeding like, She's just quietly facilitating backpacks for 50 kids over the weekend here in Blaine, food backpacks. Um, I've seen it in watching Amy and Tiffany lead a coat drive uh, you know, a couple weeks ago that gave 500 coats out to the community. Um, I've seen it every time I ask Aaron and Kelly to feed anyone, they're down. Like that's amazing. Um, Amazing, like the scones. Like Aaron is winning people by scones. Um, and like Monique, meeting with single mothers to encourage them when they feel all alone, like a thousand quiet kindnesses. What if we are a, we're a church of a thousand quiet kindnesses? You know, I'm excited to see more. You know, I don't think God called his church to Blaine or anywhere else to be this flashy presence, but a church of a thousand quiet kindnesses that don't know they're left from their right, what they're, what they're doing, how they're helping. See, fighting alone against the world can break you, but fighting with Jesus, finding Jesus will actually free you. It will free you to serve freely because God is in control. That's why this call to the kingdom is a very hopeful call. If you look at Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The world is desperate for rest, and Jesus is saying, Come to me, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Like the world is confused right now, and Jesus is saying, come, learn from me. Learn how to really live. Mm -hmm. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't want to give you the burden of the world. I actually want to take control of that and use you to help change it in my kingdom. So the world might be falling apart, but when we follow Jesus, he leads us into rest. To be a person that doesn't freak out with the world, but stands opposite, is a a refreshing taste of heaven to the world that feels like it's falling apart. And we're invited, you're invited, to take on the easy yoke of Jesus the rest that doesn't depend on circumstances. It doesn't depend on the government or culture. It's a rest that comes from being with Jesus because his kingdom is moving. And it's not a call to an action. It's not a call to being lazy and doing whatever you want, but it's a call to humble service that's rooted in the hope that God's kingdom is winning, that God's kingdom is here, and it's breaking in. One way I've seen this kingdom break in is through a story that many of you are familiar with, and it's the story of Aaron and Leah at En Refuge. Like many of you have, have heard this story, but um En-Gedi is a safe house for ex-prostituted women here in Whatcom County. It's helped lead dozens of women to um, re- have their lives restored, like um, from a life of prostitution. And what's amazing is that Aaron and Leah had no plans to get into that type of work. Aaron was a housing contractor in Oklahoma when they felt called to start this house in Whatcom County and they said yes. Like they, they weren't experts on anything, they were just faithful to what God was calling them to do. And the amazing thing about Engedi is that while most state-run programs have about a 50% success rate, they have, or less, they have a 90% success rate. And the reason for that is Jesus. They're not ashamed to, to share this news of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the hope of the kingdom. They've decided to share the gospel without compromise with every woman that walks into the facility. And that means they have to stay no to state funding. Uh, that means they have to stay out of that, but they won't question the gospel as a part of their ministry and God provides. For them, I was at a banquet one time where they raised half of their yearly budget, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, in one night for a small nonprofit. Like that's unheard of, but it's cool to see. And I've met some of these women whose lives have changed. Like their kids are going to have a completely different outlook than they did. Um, these th- these women now have jobs and careers and homes. Like it's amazing what the kingdom can do. And I don't want to look at that ministry and say, oh, wow, that's amazing. Um, I want to ask the question, what's next? Like, what's next in Whatcom County? What does God want to do in your heart? What does God want to do through you? What does God want you to do right here and right now? Because an idea that you think is impossible is entirely possible because you have Christ in you. You know, if God can use a building contractor from Oklahoma to help save dozens of ex-prostituted women in the Pacific Northwest, he can use you to do great things for his kingdom. And the world is waiting for it. The world wants to see Christ in you. The world is longing for that hope. So I want to encourage you, if you want to make a difference, if you feel helpless against the world and are looking for hope, choose the kingdom. Give to God What is his, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength? Because he loves you, and he loves this world. He doesn't want to see people fall away. He doesn't want to see people die without him. And he's in control. When we leave the results up to God, amazing things will happen. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, I I just pray right now, God, as I... As I say the words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, your strength. It is a struggle to do that sometimes, God. We we get distracted. We shift our focus, God. We struggle at times. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, give us the power to relinquish, to return to you what is yours. Our whole life. Our everything, God. Not just so that we can escape the world, but that we can actually change it. God, you've put burdens on our hearts. God, you've 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 shown us injustices. God, you've uh, we, our lives have been touched by pain. But God, you want to restore everything through your kingdom. So, Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us, God, to make you the king of our lives, of our hearts, God. And I pray that that would just extend out to our community, to people who are struggling, that there would be real change because we are living for the kingdom of God. Lord, that you reign and you rule. And Lord, whatever is in the way of that, whatever we're struggling with, whatever we feel um, burdened by, God, would you take it? Would you show us the way of rest, of trusting you, of humble service, of loving the world, of being different. God, Lord, I pray, God, that your kingdom would take root in our hearts. And Jesus, um, Lord, if there's anyone here today, God, who hasn't tasted of you, hasn't tasted of the change, God, that you would just compel us right now, whoever that is, God, just to simply open their hands and receive you for the first time. Jesus, we pray for that. You are on the move. You are in control, God. You care. God, you love. And Lord, you are the one who's actively trying to bring restoration, actively doing, actually doing, bringing restoration to this world. And we trust in you, in Jesus' name. Amen.